Hey, it's Latif from Radio Lab. Our goal with each episode is to make you think, how did I live this long and not know that? Radio Lab, adventures on the edge of what we think we know. Listen wherever you get podcasts. You're listening to The Takeaway. I'm Janae Pierre, in for Melissa Harris-Perry. Last night, President Joe Biden addressed the nation in his State of the Union address. When world leaders ask me to define America, and they do, believe it or not, I say I can define it in one word, and I mean this, possibilities. We don't think anything is beyond our capacity. Everything is a possibility. On the other side of the aisle, the GOP had Arkansas Governor and former President Trump press secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders deliver the Republican rebuttal. Biden and the Democrats have failed you. They know it, and you know it. And it's time for a change. Here to help us break it all down is Joel Payne, CBS News political contributor and chief communications officer for Move On. Joel, thanks for coming back on The Takeaway. Thanks for having me. Also with us is Mitch Kokai, senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation. Mitch, thanks for joining us as well. Thank you. Quick gut-level reaction to Biden's State of the Union address. Joel, you can start. I thought it was a pretty in-your-face Um, bold playbook for the next two years. It was also a look back to the last two years. And I'm telling you, you know, Joe Biden has this um, this feel for the theatrics in these moments, which sounds interesting for an 80 year old president. But he really rose to the occasion. I I can tell you the Democrats that I talked to felt really good, not just about the substance of what he said, but the delivery. Um, And obviously it lays out a predicate for the type of re-election campaign he's going to run for 2024. Last thing I would say, it stands in such stark contrast to the image, the nonverbal image that Republicans put forward last night, whether it was the heckling that happened inside the body, or it was what I would call the pretty dystopian view of the world mm-hmm. that Sarah Huckabee Sanders put forward. Um, it just stands in such stark contrast. Um, not to say that um, one won't work politically for one and, and, and the other, but It is such a contrast message. I'm very curious to see how the American people absorbed it. Mitch? I think President Biden did what he needed to do with that State of the Union, which was to convince the people who needed convincing that he is up for not only serving another two years as president, but to be able to run for another four-year term. Remember that if he were to win another election and to serve a full term, he would be 86 By the end of that second term, which would be unprecedented, I think despite the fact that some people have had some concerns about his ability to do the job and Mm -hmm. sometimes flubbing when he's out uh, giving speeches, in this one, uh, he was right on point. He seemed to be very energetic throughout. Uh, He took the boos and catcalls and responded. We had that interesting moment when he talked about Republicans wanting to sunset the entitlement programs, and then people started booing, and then he uh, pivoted to saying, well, I guess we all agree we're not doing anything about that. I thought that was a key moment for him. Uh, It was also interesting to see the contrast between President Biden and Sarah Sanders. Biden, while spelling out Democratic priorities, also said that he would like to work with Republicans. Basically, Sarah Sanders said, Democrats have failed you. The president is weak. We offer something different. We're offering you the choice between normal and crazy. She really uh, 
went in for the whole thing of making sure that there was a major contrast and that Republicans are going to want uh, work for what they want and not necessarily try to reach across the aisle with Democrats. So I want to talk about President Biden um, starting off his address focusing on the economy. Joel, do you think his message was effective? I thought that President Biden kind of brought his A-game in terms of his energy and his intensity. Um, it was such a spirited defense of the work that he and his congressional allies have done, um, not only to you know bring the economy back from COVID, but to also um, really build a, an impressive record of job creation. You know, you could you could tell that it it actually kind of boxed in Kevin McCarthy um, in a really interesting way. Obviously, you always have that vision of the speaker and the vice president sitting behind the president, mm -hmm. and at so many points um, during the address, it felt like Kevin McCarthy was just visibly uncomfortable because of the jujitsu that Joe Biden was doing in that speech mm -hmm. and how it kind of put McCarthy in a corner. Mm -hmm. What are the things you're going to stand for and what are the things you're going to sit for? That nonverbal contrast and that nonverbal message you're sending to people watching at home. I thought that was so interesting. Yeah. And Mitch, we'll jump to something you mentioned early on. Um, the president also made overtures early on that he wanted to work across the aisle. Do you think he was effective there? And if that was well received by Republicans? I'm guessing that Republicans expected to hear at least a little bit of this. Of course, this is his first State of the Union since Republicans took control of the U.S. House of Representatives. So if anything major is going to get done over the next couple of years, it will require some bipartisanship. But of course, he started with that bipartisan message early on. And then as the speech wore on, it was more laying out the Democratic agenda, the items that the Democrats want to spell out. I'm guessing that as Republicans in that chamber and outside were listening, they thought, wow, each of these things he's talking about are going to cost a lot more money while we're all worrying about how we're uh, going to be paying for our own bills. You asked earlier whether his message on the economy was effective. I think that he was effective in rallying the statistics that look good for him. But I think we've also seen in recent months, as the Biden administration has talked about adding jobs, low unemployment rates, that a lot of people have said, but yes, we're still dealing with higher prices and it's harder to pay for some of the things that we need. And in some cases, it's harder to find the items that we want on the shelves. So while I think he, he did a great job of rallying the statistics that are in his favor. I'm not sure that people who are on the fence about him would have heard that and said that it really addresses the, the questions and concerns that they have about their own pocketbook issues. Mm -hmm. Following tradition, um, the State of the Union included guests of the Biden administration. Join us tonight are the parents of Tyree Nichols. Welcome. There's no word to describe the heartache or grief of losing a child. But imagine, imagine if you lost that child at the hands of the law. Imagine having to worry whether your son or daughter came home from walking down the street. Joel, I'm curious about what you made of that decision to have Tyree's parents there at the State of the Union and what you thought of that moment. Well, obviously, it was an emotional moment to, to see the parents of Tyree Nichols. President Biden was was very direct about the challenge um, regarding police violence and the changes and the reforms that are needed. Um, there was obviously um, across the aisle applause and support for for um, Nichols family. 
Um, his mother and his father were there in the chamber. But it was a pretty extended part in the speech that President um, Biden talked about the need for police reform, the need um, to address police violence. I don't know if that would have been a formula you would see a president, a Democratic president in particular, go forward with five, 10, 15 years ago. Obviously, it's a place that the Democratic Party has been, but popularly across the country, I think there is more of an understanding and more of uh, an empathy complex that has developed for um, the need to really reform uh, police violence. And I think that that was on display. Also, there were a number of other um, individuals that the, the president uh, invited as guests. You had the, um, the gentleman who stopped the, the shooter in California at the uh, Asian American um, celebration from a few months ago, mm -hmm. um, who received warm applause. And the president used that as an opportunity to talk about the need for banning assault rifles, which got loud cheers from the Democrats in the room. Obviously, um, that was something that uh, Republicans did not support. So a good use of that ability to bring in guests. Mitch, I'm wondering, is there anything that you think the president swung and missed on in his State of the Union? Well, on the item that was just discussed, uh, saying that uh, there should, should be the ban on assault weapons, I think that resonates with Democratic voters in the Democratic base. But as you saw among the Republicans in the, the chamber, it seemed to be a non-starter. And I think there were a, a number of other instances in which the, the president started on this, this theme of let's address an issue that is of great importance to the American people. And then after a long buildup, then pointed to a piece of legislation that has no chance of getting through uh, the, the Congress. I do think there were times when he really did make a, a good case. And the, the Tyree Nichols piece of the speech, I think, was one of them because he didn't just launch on a harangue about the ills of law enforcement and the need to address them. He started by saying, most police are good. Most police do a, a great job. And I think there was, if not unanimous, widespread agreement for that within the, the, the entire chamber. And then he said, but, you know, there are things that need to change and we need to have reforms. And it was hard for people, I think, to jump from, yes, we agree with this first part to say, well, no, we disagree with the second part. I think that was a very effective use of his uh, of his talking about the good along with the bad. OK, guys, pause with me here. We'll have more on the State of the Union right after this. About 600,000 people go missing every year in the U.S., prompting family members to become amateur detectives. On the trail of one missing person is journalist Tanya Mosley. Why do you think you hesitated when we first met in telling me the full details about your mother's disappearance? It's heartbreaking. I didn't want to break your heart. I'm Kai Wright. Tanya Mosley joins me next time on Notes from America. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, we're back with Mitch Kokai and Joel Payne, both sides of the aisle, talking with me on the State of the Union. Let's talk now about the Republican response. Mitch, what do you think about the choice of having Sarah Sanders and what stood out to you from her address? Putting Sarah Sanders up there showed that Republicans wanted to make a contrast between the 80-year-old Biden and the 40-year-old Sanders. She talked about having new leadership 
We've heard some uh, other folks within the Republican Party talking about the same thing. Nikki Haley, who's weighing a potential bid for president, has been talking about new leadership. So I think Republicans really did want to make that contrast. And the main thing I got out of Sarah Sanders' presentation was that she was not going to pull any punches. She wasn't really going to talk about working across the aisle. It was basically saying Democrats have gotten things wrong. Biden is weak and you're choosing between normal and crazy. That's not the type of thing you say when you're really pushing for bipartisanship. That's the type of thing you say when you're ready to jump on the campaign trail and try to beat the other side. Mm -hmm. So, um, Joel, I want to get your perspective on this. Uh, during her Republican rebuttal, Sarah Sanders decided to focus on culture war issues. What did you think about that? Well, I, I agree with Mitch. I definitely think she was setting up a choice between normal and crazy. I don't know if she realized what side of that she was falling on, <laughs> um, because I, I'll tell you this. She described a world and a a scenario that I don't know if most Americans recognize um, the woke mob talking about all these like horrible social um, implications of the, the last 10 years of trying to create accountability um, and trying to create a world that's fairer and that's more diverse. Um, and I'm sure it's reflective of a certain strain of conservatism for sure. But didn't Republicans just run an election in 2022 on that, essentially, on CRT? Yeah. Yeah. on the woke mob. I don't get the sense that that was effective for them. So interesting to me that they chose that strategically as an underpinning of their response to that State of the Union from Joe Biden. If that is going to be the Republican posture for the next two years, I can just tell you a lot of Democrats are going to feel very good about their chances of holding the White House and gaining a bigger foothold in Congress. Mm -hmm. Now, lastly, gentlemen, I'll have a question for each of you. Um, Mitch, where do you see Republicans going from here? And Joel, where do you see Democrats going from here? Well, I think the Republicans are really going to have to choose how much they're going to be willing to work with the Biden administration over the next couple of years and how much they want to go ahead and start getting into campaign mode. We uh, can suspect from Sarah Huckabee Sanders' presentation that she's already looking ahead to 2024 and helping Republicans take control of the Senate and the White House, along with the House of Representatives. Uh, but I suspect that Kevin McCarthy, sitting behind President Biden, was thinking about, well, how much do we get into campaign mode already and how much do we try to address some of the issues that we can address over the next couple of years with divided government? And that's going to be a challenge because there will be parts of his caucus who will want to fight all of the time. You saw that in the race for speaker itself. There will be parts of the caucus who actually want to try to get some things done, work with Democrats when they can, uh, disagree and agree to disagree when they have to. But uh, it's going to be an interesting predicament for, for them. I think the other thing, and we saw this with the Sarah Huckabee Sanders speech as well, is that although she referenced working for the president and talked about making trips with him, I don't think she ever said the word Trump. She talked about the president, and it'll be very interesting to see how much Donald Trump ends up playing a role for Republicans over the next couple of years, or whether they are ready to move on and try to have someone else be uh, their standard bearer. Yeah, I'm glad Mitch made that point about Trump. I noticed that in Sarah Huckabee Sanders' speech, right, that she did not 
mentioned Trump's name once. She said the president. And I was like, wow, who is this president that she worked for that she keeps talking about? <laughs> yeah. So I, I thought that was a, a, a interesting kind of foreshadowing of what the next two years will be for Republicans. I think for Democrats, I think of it short term and long term, short term. The president laid out battle lines on this debt ceiling fight on, um, you know, the 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 battle between he and Kevin McCarthy at figuring out, like, how do you get over that hump? Um, and obviously, there's been a lot of maneuvering in the back room. I think a lot of that spilled out into the public last night. Um, so I think there was some foreshadowing of what's going to happen over the next, let's call it two to four months related to that. I think longer term, obviously, the president laid out a predicate for his reelection. And um, you heard a lot of talk about finishing the job, having the opportunity to complete the work that he was sent to Washington to do. Um, and I actually think, you know, as most presidents get, he's going to get a bump out of the State of the Union. He's going to hit the road this week. He's in, I think, Wisconsin today um, and in Florida later in the week. And I will tell you, um, you know, the, the president feels pretty buoyant coming out of this moment. Um, obviously, there was a kind of tough week last week with that international um, incident that got kind of blown out of proportion with uh, with the Chinese spy balloon. Yeah. But I think you're going to see a bounce for President Biden coming out of this speech going into the 2024 reelection season. Jill Payne is CBS News political contributor and chief communications officer for Move On. And Mitch Kokai is a senior political analyst for the John Locke Foundation. Mitch, Joel, thank you both for taking time with us today. Thank, thank you. you. 